You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. If you are looking to tap into a cool new niche that you can take your private practice to six figures or more, check out my guy, Derek Collins, at courtmandatedtraining.com. He helps licensed therapists expand their practices by working with court-mandated clients. So if you are burnt out, tired of writing notes, dealing with insurance companies, I highly recommend that you check out what Derek has to offer. He can show you how to get paid cash every day through court-mandated evaluations and classes like anger management, domestic violence, substance use, shoplifting, theft prevention, and more. This niche can be a breakthrough that you have been looking for. Go to courtmandatedtraining.com and watch the free webinar to get started. Remember, that is courtmandatedtraining.com. Hey, everyone. This is the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal. I'm joined today by Meg Kelly out in Indiana. She is an LMHC, as I always forget all the acronyms, and the host of the Mental Status Podcast. And I'm really happy to have you. We were just talking about our love for New Girl and how dreary it is outside. And that's kind of my goal is podcast, then New Girl today. So Meg, thank you so much for coming on and making the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Meg and I were talking while I was on her podcast mm-hmm. and talking about authenticity and writing really shitty websites and psych todays and all the things that therapists get wrong, especially when they don't know how to do these things because grad school didn't really set us up to be business owners. So I think we're going to talk about that today. And mm-hmm. um, I've had a couple episodes about authenticity and content creation and disclosure. So I'm excited to just kind of entrench myself into that. And um, I think it's a great topic. So with everything you see and what you do, and I know you have a practice as well in Indiana, like mm-hmm. what do you typically come across and think about like the whole conversation about authenticity in practice ownership and just being a therapist in general? Yeah. So a big part of what I've started doing, um, both in my practice and in some of the online spaces that I am in is really trying to just be who I am rather than putting on a show for anybody. Um, and just presenting myself as, as I want to be, not who I think I should be as a therapist. Um, so that means showing up with like piercings and tattoos and sometimes like not having the super buttoned up look. Um, and I found for myself that when I'm able to occupy that space, the work that I do feels, it feels better to me and it feels like it flows more easily when I'm working with people. Um, and one of the things that I see a lot that, you know, I always say it's, it's up to each individual therapist to decide what they want to do for themselves. But I see a lot of therapists um, putting, putting on sort of like a professional costume and not really being themselves. And it comes out in the way that they talk about themselves and their profiles and their websites and social media. And it all seems great at face value until you really start to look into it. And you're like, I don't, I don't really understand what you're, what you're really here for, what you're passionate about, who you love to work with. Um, 
and it just kind of leaves me at least feeling a little disconnected uh, from those therapists. So I've tried to like kind of step into a space of being more authentically myself. uh, And I found that it's really served me well in my practice. What do you kind of attribute that to, you know, the buttoned up blank slate robotic nature? I mean, I definitely think that grad school and community mental health jobs really kind of like send that message over and over of like, this is how therapists have to move through the world and this is how they have to show up and this is what you don't do. Mm-hmm. You think that, what do you see on your end from from all of your social media connection and just, you know, in general? Yeah, I mean, I think even before we get to grad school, a lot of us have certain ideas about what therapists are. Uh, we have obviously a lot of media, movies, TV shows, blah, 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 talking about and showing the therapist who is cool and detached um, or like otherwise showing them doing some really unethical shit, which is just (laughs) stupid. Um, But I think a lot of us come into grad school with the idea that we have to have that cool, detached, uh, like distance, the professional distance, which of course there are times and places where we need to be able to to create that space between ourselves and our clients. Um, But a lot of us, I think we take that as we can't have a personality. We can't have um, parts of ourselves that may influence the therapeutic relationship, which for me, as I've grown as a clinician, it hasn't really made sense. You know, like in the therapy room, we're supposed to, in some ways, emulate like a micro version of the, the client's macro world, right? This is a, a therapeutic relationship. And so if we're showing up as that blank slate, the client may not actually get a realistic picture of what it is like to have those reparative experiences with another quote unquote real human being. Um, So that's really what I try to bring to the space and being my authentic self. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think that's so important to remember because I think a lot of people, you know, when I talk about this stuff, get up in arms when they think like, well, I don't just show up as my, you know, everyday self in therapy and that would be inappropriate. And that's too much quote unquote disclosure. And like that's self-serving. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not the point. Like, no, you're not showing up in the therapeutic space to just like heal yourself through the, through the interaction. And you're certainly not just like, Hey, shooting the shit. And like, (laughs) like we're best friends, even though some interactions can be more like laid back in nature, but like, Mm -hmm. I think you're so right when we're trying to reflect back this experience and and really this real experience for clients, it's so much easier to gain and build rapport if you are your authentic self. And the likelihood of clients reaching out to you because of how you show up and how you kind of highlight your own personality is so much higher than just like the robotic resume writing that we see on profiles and websites mm-hmm. that are like, Mm-hmm. almost borderline I'm trying to prove how competent and skillful I am yeah. instead of like I know what it's like to be a human being yeah yeah and I see that a lot um and we're taught this right like it's important the letters that you have after your name the credentials the certifications w- whatever the case may be and those things are important uh, in as much as they allow you to do the work that you do but the vast majority of clients that I've encountered don't care. They do not care. They want to know that you can help them. And when you use those letters and those certifications to create this sense of like, 
well, this, this means that I know what it is to help you and what it means and what you need rather than, hey, I've also experienced some of this stuff in my life and I have skills and training to allow me to do this work for you. Um, it, it just creates a distance that is not, in, in my opinion, it's not therapeutic. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think what happens when we're putting all the letters, certifications, modalities, every single piece of training, every single grad school course I've ever taken mm-hmm. on my stuff, I'm like trying to say like, I am the expert. I'm, a, I'm establishing this authority as the expert because I need you to know how qualified I am to help you. Yeah. And what gets missed so often is like, what is the percentage of people who have master's degrees or PhDs in mental health? Like, it's not a, a large number. So we miss out on the fact that we are really not creating accessibility or access to care for clients who want it if they can't read the information about what you provide and yeah. connect. Because we're, we are in the business of relationship building and connection. Yeah. And when that gets missed, you are missing an opportunity to help someone who might really want your services because they're mm-hmm. like, I don't know what the fuck any of this means. <laughs> Why would I call this person? What are they talking about? I have no idea what relational trauma is. <laughs> All I know is my dad was an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, it's and it's that language, right? Like the way we present ourselves on our directory profiles or our websites where we have such a big opportunity to connect with people before they even speak to us. And, you know, this is, I I have a bit of an advantage because before coming to therapy, I worked in marketing and I worked in content creation. So I have a bit of that background to know that people don't care about the jargon whatsoever. They do not care. They want to know what they're getting out of the deal. They want to know basically what's in it for them how do I know that you're the person to help me? So we have such a great opportunity to showcase ourselves as people who can help, people who are able to um, walk people through these really difficult points in their lives. But we put up this wall of, well, I use cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR to heal relational trauma. Like (laughs) you lost me, you lost me. So, I mean, to be fair, you've lost me if I'm looking for a therapist. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. I mean, I'll sure. have the next one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, a lot of us are just missing big opportunities, you know, not only to just bring in the clients who we're really going to enjoy working with, but allowing potential clients the opportunity to see this person gets me. They understand to some degree what this feels like or what I'm going through. Um, Because really, like, as somebody who's done a lot of searching for therapists in the past myself, when you're in the place where you're needing therapy and you really need it, those web pages, those directory profiles, they can be overwhelming. You just want somebody who can help. Absolutely. It's really well said. And it's been the same in my experience when I've been looking for my own therapist. I want to get, I want to get the sense that you kind of know what it's like to at least pick up the phone and be vulnerable enough to call someone for help. And That doesn't mean I need your entire life story in that paragraph, but I would love to know that you get the struggle. And I think there's this disconnect there where it's like, well, I have a feeling people are going to email me about what I'm about to say. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a disconnect here. Like you worked in marketing, right? You get that 
although we are helpers, we're still selling a service and we're still marketing. And I think a lot of therapists really struggle to understand and conceptualize that both have to be there simultaneously. Like if you're in private practice, you are selling a service. You are collecting a fee for payment, like um, a fee for payment, a fee for service. Like you are doing that. So if you can't understand that you can do both things simultaneously, that is a big um, thing that you're missing because at the end of the day, you're not helping anyone by not being yourself and showing up authentically so that your clients can land on your pages, on your website and say, oh, I want to work with Meg because Meg clearly gets it. And I think that so many times the uh, ethical police like statement goes out into the world where it's like, yeah, but if you're disclosing, then you're being unethical. And like, this is going to like sway the relationship and like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's going to make sure that the client really feels instantaneous rapport without ever fucking meeting you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like I have had more than one client when I get on the consultation call with them, when I get into that first session with them, say to me, I knew that I wanted to work with you before we even got on the call. I, I knew because I felt comfortable with what you were saying, or I, I saw myself in your content. I saw, you know, the values that you hold that you describe on your page and I wanted to work with you. Um, and what is, what's the big thing that most of us are taught in grad school and beyond is that the therapeutic relationship is one of the biggest predictors of outcomes. So if you can build that before you even get into the therapy room and have that trust, I guess I'm struggling to see the issue with that. I struggle to see it too. And I think people kind of make these leaps into if you are being authentic, if you are disclosing, if you're writing content this way, you are, again, going back to that self-serving mentality or like you're disclosing too much. Mm. And there are obviously limitations. Like you're not going to like start describing like extensive sexual trauma or like some sort of chronic illness that has like overtaken you at points in time. Like I'm just trying to use specific examples that have come up recently in my Facebook group. But like ultimately, I, I talk a lot about this and I'm okay with disclosure in general. But, you know, I had a gambling addiction. I'm autistic. I'm ADHD. I will talk about the struggle because yeah. not only does it create relatability and on the flip side, it also offers this like light at the end of the tunnel and this glimmer of hope that I can struggle with this. And I can work through it and like recover to some degree and still live a life that feels worth living when in so many instances as human beings, we don't think that we, I can pinpoint examples in my addiction where I was like, yeah, this is never going to end well. And I don't foresee myself making it out of my mid twenties. Like I just didn't see that path. Yep. And the only reason that, well, not the only reason, a big part of that journey was finding a therapist who was open about their experiences. And I connected and at least I felt like I can know that this can be different because this person has experienced something similar and is now sitting across from me having a master's degree and owning a business. Clearly, this doesn't have to be the rest of my life. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, the specialty that I have in my practice right now is working with specifically mental health therapists, but helpers of all types who are burned out. So, I mean, I specialize in burnout, compassion, fatigue, all that good stuff, not good stuff, but you know what I mean? 
And, you know, I, I have, I like to say I'm just a couple steps ahead of them, right? Like I have experienced that. Um, I talk about it on my own show pretty extensively. That is the theme of the mental status podcast is burnout for mental health clinicians. And people who come to work with me see that I have been able to walk through that and that it didn't completely obliterate me uh, and that I'm here to help. So for somebody who is really going through something difficult like that, an, an addiction or burnout or a chronic illness, to know that the person sitting across from you like you said, they've had that experience and they also have the education, the skills, whatever letters they have after their name that makes them, you know, capable of helping you. That's super important. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so vital for so many people. It really is. And I imagine for you, you know, working with helpers who experience burnout, mm-hmm. I just imagine that if some of these helpers could get out of their own way and learn to embrace who they are as clinicians, therefore attracting clients that really energize them instead of taking every single client that calls them. Yes. Things could be very different. And I know that that is going to create some emotion for people listening to where it's like, I'm supposed to work with everybody that calls me though. Like that's what the profession has taught me and told me to do. And I would just ask why, why is that your responsibility. If you really thrive when you're working with folks who experience chronic illness, why is it your responsibility to take on a client with, say, addiction, where you don't thrive in that space? You you don't have the training or the passion for that. But let's say your colleague does. Why is that your responsibility to take them when there is another clinician who loves working with addiction, who could serve them just as well as if not there, I say better than you. Um, I think that's why a lot of people do shy away from getting a niche, uh, getting more specific with their ideal client. And this again, like it goes back to what we learn in grad school. It goes back to what we learn probably in our earliest career days at, you know, clinical mental health centers and nonprofits. You take the client, like you don't really have a say. Um, and so I think when people go into private practice, they really they don't know what to do with that freedom. It's scary. It's scary to be able to be specific and know, like, I work really well with these particular types of people. And these other people, I'd probably do better referring them out. It can just be really scary to um, to have that realization. Not only scary, but I think it brings up a lot of shamefulness for people when they think about, ooh, I get to choose who I can work with and I have mm-hmm. I can exclude people from that list. and. One, I want to say absolutely, like referring out to someone who does it better or referring out to someone who it's their passion, that is doing the client a service. If you're doing it the opposite, you're doing a disservice not only to yourself, but to your client. And I've preached this before that you can't be the Applebee's of therapy. And I had my friend Montoya McGowan on here uh, when I first started the podcast and she was talking about being a Jesus junior, but I would define that as like (laughs) bleeding heart syndrome and being a martyr. and. If you're sacrificing yourself to help everybody else, of course you feel burnt out. And this is not just, you know, synonymous with being a mental health professional. It's really all helping professions when we start to look at it, because it's like the culture becomes so ingrained that I need to put everyone else before I put myself. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately that is when you start seeing 40 hour a week caseloads and you know, this feeling of like, I can never get out from under this. I want to change my profession. I no longer love this work. And 
that sucks because it is preventable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very preventable. Um, and a lot of the conversations that I have in this realm around those types of things, it it can be difficult because there are a lot of ways where clinicians feel like that is an individual burden that they need to solve. Um, they feel like, well, if if I don't do it, who will? Uh, I hear that so much that just like with almost every helper that I work with, that is one of the first things that comes out of their mouth. I, I don't know who else will do this. Um, and that's really, it's two sides of the same coin, right? Like we have all of this desire to help people. And we know that given the system that we have, if we don't do it, there may not be somebody to do it, at least not right away. But at the same time, we cannot be held individually responsible for doing it all. Um, and a lot of us with that martyr syndrome, that Jesus junior, we will choose that first side. We will say, it doesn't matter if I burn out, like these people need me. And that that could be a whole nother episode uh, about how problematic that line of thinking is. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't really ultimately help anybody when we're coming to our work with that frame of mind. Um, it's, it, it feels icky to me. <laughs> yeah. It does to me too. And, you know, in my coaching programs, I, I work with a lot of therapists in startup and it is very common that that is the mindset, right? Of like, how can I exclude? How can I niche? How can I like turn people away? And I think it's multifaceted. Like, I think there's some mentality of if I turn people away and refer out, nobody will ever call me again. I think that's much more related to like imposter syndrome, though, of not understanding that we're in a mental health pandemic. There are plenty of people who need support, like you turning someone away because you don't work with 14 year olds uh, is not going to prevent other people from calling you. And then there is the like, like we said, the whatever term we want to use in terms of I have to help everyone. Mm -hmm. And I hate to use like a therapist analogy, right? But like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you're giving all of yourself away, how can you truly show up and do the work? And that I think is when we see a rise in substance use, that's when we see a rise in like, boundary pushing and like maybe behavior that you wouldn't usually exhibit as a professional. So like, there's a lot of stuff that happens when we lose sight of ourselves and we don't take our take care of ourselves and Mm -hmm. i think it's just so crucial to do so and i'm just thinking (laughs) i don't know why my mind keeps going back to what you said about like cbt emdr (laughs) etc but the reason i keep thinking about that is like you and i were talking about my tiktok series of making fun of therapist psychology todays and one that i read the other day was like (laughs) I mean, there are some really bad ones out there. It doesn't, it's not hard to find bad ones. You just put them, put your area up and it's like today and you will find a hundred bad ones. But mm-hmm. one was like, I practice TFCBT. I practice EMDR, CBT, ACT, IFS, um, brain spotting, A, B, and C, like every single intervention I've ever heard of. And I was just thinking like, who is going to land on this, read this and think, yeah, this person's for me. I would think like, I don't even know what 99% of that means. Like what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) I just don't get it. And it, you know, again, it comes back to like what grad school didn't teach us. And we could have a whole episode on that. But I just think there are so many ways to prevent struggling within our businesses. If we could just get out of our own ways and allow ourselves to understand that clinical jargon doesn't fly especially in marketing. I've taught people now how to write their content 
if you're going to say like we're focusing on anxiety or depression or trauma to be able to write content that explains all of those things without using those terms mm -hmm. so that like it's all, all experience based right so like someone can land on your page and read it and be like oh this person's talking about me and my struggle because it's so much more relatable mm -hmm. yep yeah, I mean, some of the language that I have on my, I think on my website is literally using quotes that I have heard, like a, a combination of things that I've heard my own clients say, creating that as like the banner quote on one of my pages. I can't do this anymore. People read that and they say, you're right. I can't do this anymore. It goes into explaining, like you said, what are they actually experiencing? Well, you, you look successful. You look like you have it all together. Everything is going great outwardly, but you feel like you are dying inside and nobody gets that. You don't have anybody to talk to about it and you are falling apart. Now that describes the experience of being burnt out, being overwhelmed, super stressed. Maybe there's depression going on. Whereas when you say, I am a CBT therapist who will help you overcome the signs and symptoms of depression, like, no, <laughs> no, I, I can't, I can't deal with that right now. Um, and I say all these things with love in my heart for other therapists. <laughs> like I, I truly love the therapy world. I think a lot of us are just amazing people, but we don't know how to talk about ourselves, which is really like, it's weird because we're in the business of building relationships. We're in the business of like being, hopefully being human or like a, a bearing witness to the human condition. And yet we, we freeze up when it comes to being human ourselves. I just, I feel sad about that. Yeah. I feel sad about that too. And I think that also goes hand in hand with networking. I hear a lot of therapists don't want to do it or, or feel sleazy or like it's too salesy. And I always viewed it as just relationship building and mm -hmm. recognizing that we're kind of experts in that. And if you could just go into those situations, just being curious about the other person and asking questions and being, a, you know, and just showing up without an agenda, I think it takes a lot of pressure off. And it also, again, like leads back to when client A, B, and C call that you don't really support, you send them to the person who you've met who does. And mm -hmm. it's really that simple. We can simplify a lot of this stuff if we can take a step back and just look at the dynamics behind it. And you're right, like, I love what you just said about your website. It's so perfectly put. And some clients that I've worked with in the past, like, you know, they have intense anxiety, you name it, like, hey, I think you have really, um, really strong anxiety. And they're like, I've never had anxiety in my life. But if you start to break it down by actual experience, they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, I have anxiety, right? Like, it's just a different way of framing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the accessibility piece. That is giving people the opportunity to know without having to throw jargon at them, like giving them the opportunity to know that you can help them, that you are available to walk them through the struggles that they're having right now, to be a support, to give them skills, whatever the case may be. Um, and I, I just, I always like to encourage therapists, like be, be brave with it. Like stop. <laughs> the one thing that I just, I, hate is a strong word. Okay. That's a strong word, but I hate the infographics on social media. I think there's probably a, 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 some people who find them useful, but they're so bland. They're so boring. They're not useful. They don't tell me they all you look are. the same. They look the same. They're all like, 
you know, here are six self-care tips. Drink water. Fantastic. This is great. Thank you so much. Um, and, and maybe like for you and I and other people in the field, maybe it feels that way because we're so inundated with that information already. But to some degree, it's like, it's not you. It's not like original. It doesn't show who you are as a clinician. I don't know. I just, please post something other than pretty pictures for your perfect Instagram feed because it's so boring. It's so boring. <laughs> I like to think of, that's so timely because I just made a series of TikTok videos today about that exact topic, about like just sharing other people's like quotes or, you know, a quote with just like some motivational speech, but like nothing behind it. Or like, yeah, like you said, six tips for self-care and really ugly graphics that like don't elicit an emotional response, right? Because that's what we need to be doing is you need to be captivating. And I think there's nothing less captivating than just like posting other people's content or like just generic ideas. You, we're not recreating the wheel, right? Like self-care tips exist. They're always going to exist. They're all basically the same fucking thing. But if you could go on there and like show some of your self-care tips or stuff that you've struggled with around self-care or like how you practice it or you preach it, but don't always practice it as a therapist, like that is much more relatable than like, go on a hike and drink some water and like do meditation. And someone who's reading it, who's struggling is like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I know these things, but I can't do them right now. Right. right. Yeah. It's that, um, the, the thing you always hear is like, well, I have depression and people told me to just exercise. Fantastic. Like that. Great. That'll solve it. And like, we all know that exercise can help, but it doesn't, really help anybody in the long term to see unoriginal shit circulated over and over that honestly like if you have not looked up self-care tips on the internet and found the same thing like it's just it's not helpful and you have to ask yourself like what are what's the purpose behind that if you think you're going to post stuff like that and then all of a sudden poof clients appear at your door like that's not what works and no. I, I just wonder if we just feel like, okay, I have to put content out there. So I'm going to put these like generic graphics out there. That's not doing you a service either. If you, you know, are doing things like that and you hate content creation, I mean, you might as well just not do it because ultimately yeah. that's not allowing you to stand out with your personality. I would much prefer you put short videos out there, you know, of yourself talking. If you feel uncomfortable with that, writing some vulnerable posts and breaking them up into segments so that you can post them and they can be more relatable. But there are a lot of ways that you don't have to do like what Meg is saying, which ultimately, you know, isn't going to lead to the click, the share, the comment, the engagement, the client, like none of that stuff is going to lead to any of that. Yeah. Well, and even if you do get a lot of shares because people think that the graphic is pretty or it's an inspirational quote, shares and likes don't equate to clients in the door. Again, regardless of the strategy that you use, whether it's social media, YouTube, TikTok, your website, profile, like whatever it is, you're still building that sort of like pre-relationship. You're, you're trying to build rapport and provide a sense to potential clients that they want to work with you. They, they feel like you know them. And they're not going to get Absolutely. a sense that you know them through through graphics. So, yeah, yeah, that's very well said. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just about showing up as you. Do, mm -hmm. 
do it within your value system. Like if you are social justice oriented, show up and talk about it. Like if you are an advocate for something, show up and talk about it. Like you, if you're following my stuff right now, you know, I've been talking a lot about autism, mm -hmm. but I have a platform and I feel privileged enough to do that without a lot of backlash in any way. And I, I recognize that, but like showing up and talking about my own struggle, my audience loves it, right? Like they feel connected to me. I get emails all the time from people I've never met. And they're like, mm. I love your stuff. I follow all of it. It's so great, blah, 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 blah. And I appreciate that so much, but it's because I show up authentically and that's become my brand. Mm. And I think if you can kind of give yourself permission to put yourself out there just a little bit, it does not have to be like full force. I'm going to just go all into this, but just a little bit, just share something that you've struggled with. It could be really simple could be really minor, but getting in that mindset of it's okay to be a human and it is okay to put yourself out there and it is okay to disclose that you have a hard time here and there because otherwise it feels really artificial because we all know that life is not easy and we mm -hmm. all have struggles. So if we can't name them and talk about them, how can we support our clients to do the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. It gives off a nerve just kind of not being completely insincere. But again, that blank slate sort of wall that we put up between ourselves and clients, um, it doesn't do much to serve that therapeutic relationship when you're not able to show up and be human with the other human in the room with you. Yeah. That's very well said. So, you know, if you take away anything from this conversation, I hope you give yourself permission to just try really hard to embrace some authenticity curse on your website if that's how you interact like yes there's nothing more misleading than like being a blank slate then you get to the therapy office and this person's like cursing up a storm like who did i just get right <laughs> but like my homepage of my group practice website says fuck multiple times we reference um media like we reference new girl and harry potter <laughs> and lord of the rings and all this other shit but like it creates relatability and i Actually, I'm about to jump into an interview when we get off here with a psychiatric PA who wants to come work for us. And she referenced like, I love the fact that your website seems relatable, authentic, and I can actually work at a place that will align with my values of being a real human being. And I'm like, oh my God, I am so excited to interview this person. <laughs> um, but that's what good content creation can do yeah. is it can draw people in and elicit an emotional response and investment and connection before even meeting. And I think that's really the goal here when it comes to small business ownership. Absolutely. Yeah. And that also like coming from the uh, realm of burnout, like we said earlier, if you can actually show up as yourself and you're not feeling like you're putting on a show every day and you can just be you in the room, you know, to the degree that you are comfortable with it and you're not crossing those boundaries that we're also worried about, if you just show up as yourself at least for me, I found that makes my work so enjoyable. It makes it easier for me to be at ease, which makes my job easier. Like I can pick up on things when I'm not so worried about, do I look okay? Am I professional enough? Is my hairstyle the right? Like, it's just, fuck it, who cares? Right? <laughs> like show up in attire that is appropriate, be presentable, be yourselves and just allow yourself to be there with the other person. I love that. And, you know, just real quick before we end, thinking about burnout again, being through COVID and this pandemic and this new telehealth era was one of the first times that we probably were experiencing something our client was experiencing simultaneously. Yes. And 
there's all this unknown. We don't know what's happening. We're scared. We're frightened. We're overwhelmed. Like some of us were just checked out, but it was happening at the same time. And I think for a lot of people that gave therapists, hopefully some permission to be like, I'm dropping the charade. Like, this is how I'm experiencing life too. Like, I'm also very worried about A, B, and C. And it was like, mm. okay, we're human beings in this shit together. I can still be helpful to you. I can still discuss the struggle and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something to think about for everyone out there. You know, just being relatable is so huge and your clients will really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to mean that you're being unethical by being a real human being. Um, I wish that and didn't have May, to be said, but yes. <laughs> that's the message. That's the takeaway. It's not unethical to be a real human being. I want you to hear that over and over and over again before I get all this hate email saying that I crossed the line. Um, yes. I, I just want to say thanks and I appreciate you being here and I'm glad that we've connected over the last couple of weeks and your stuff is great and you're helping a lot of people out there. And I just hope that for everyone listening, especially the therapists in the world, just embrace it. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are preaching this stuff and just really try to follow and support the people who are, you know, bold enough to take that stand. And I really respect it. So um, please tell the audience where they can find your podcast and anything else that you're offering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed connecting as well. Um, So you can find me on the Mental Status Podcast. It's on all major platforms, um, Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Uh, You can also find me on Instagram as the anti-work therapist. Uh, That's all one word, anti-work therapist. Uh, That's a page where, honestly, I go a lot more in depth with a lot of these types of uh, topics here, being a real human and a therapist at the same time. Um, so yeah, say hi, uh, in either of those spaces. I always like it when people say hi. Love it. So that will all be in the show notes for everyone if you need it and you'll have access to any of the, uh, cool stuff that Meg is doing right now. I want to thank everyone for listening. New episodes every single Sunday, like, download, subscribe and share. That's me being a real human stumbling over my words right now. Cause it's been a long day, <laughs> like download, subscribe and share and follow the all things private practice podcast and remember doubt yourself do it anyway and we will see you next week this podcast is heard along the marketing podcast network for more great marketing podcasts visit marketingpodcasts.net